0: Today, we are beginning a new series of message and a new direction from what we've been doing for the past month. We're going to be speaking on current issues that we face in our culture today. And as you see in your bulletin, we're going to begin with the issue of capital punishment. Now, in recent times... Again, the heads of two of the largest denominations in our nation stated their strong opposition to the administration of capital punishment and the calling for the government to remove this punishment from the law books of the Bahamas. Of course, in addition to these learned and reverent and well-respected gentlemen, men of God, there are many others of like mind, both in the religious, political, and academia world, who take the same position. And so it is my purpose this morning to present again, because I think I've been doing it every year for the past 15 years, but the issue remains. I want to present a biblical perspective because I believe it is important for believers to have a biblical perspective on life and all of the issues that we face in our culture. As the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we must rub the Christian culture and shine the Christian culture upon our culture to make a difference. And for us to be able to do that, we must know what the scripture teaches on these issues. And so that's my purpose, my reason for focusing on this issue today. I believe it is time for believers to speak up on these issues and to let your voices be heard. So I'm going to be encouraging you as believers to write to the newspapers to make your position known. But in order to do that, be sure that you present a biblical perspective. So we do it in a way that pleases and honors God. So let's begin at the beginning. Let's begin with a clear definition of our topic. What is capital punishment? I believe that a proper definition is essential if any discussion is to be profitable. Here's how Nicholas Fabian, in a paper entitled, A Review of Capital Punishment, Is the Death Penalty a Deterrent Against Crime? Here's how he defines it. Quote, Capital punishment is the administration of death penalty by the state to an individual who committed a crime which, based on its laws, mandates the death penalty. It's capital because the offense is extremely serious. And it is punishment because it is given in response to some heinous crime committed by the perpetrator. End of quote. Notice very carefully. The penalty is executed by the state not an individual citizen. That would be vigilantism. Legally speaking, murder is seen as a crime against the state not simply against an individual. That's why it's a criminal offense and not a civil one. That's why he says here in this uh, definition: It is a serious crime. You see, with capital punishment, the state acts in its own name to withhold its own to withheld, to withhold its own integrity and reason for being. In other words, one of the reasons for the state's existence is to punish crime, or criminals, rather. The state does not act on behalf of the individual, but for the nation as a whole. With capital punishment, the state is not seeking recompense for the individual. It is safeguarding its own integrity as an institution to protect its citizens. This is very important to understand if you're going to talk intelligently about capital punishment. It also says it's based on the laws of the state. Which means, of course, those laws can vary. That's why you have from state to state different policies or laws for capital punishment. It also says it's punishment. It's objective. It's not rehabilitation of the offender. It's capital punishment not capital rehabilitation. It is in no way looking to give any restitution to the victim. It is punishment. It is punishment by the state for an offense against innocent citizens. And one of the primary responsibilities and obligations of the state is to protect It's citizens from criminals and when criminals commit a crime it is the obligation and responsibility of the state to punish the criminal who commits the offense. That's the responsibility of the state. My proposition to to uh, to you is that when it refuses to do that it loses its credibility as a state. In fact It loses its reason for being a state. Now, we are specifically concerned with capital punishment in relationship to the crime of murder. So let's define murder. Because believe it or not, there are all kinds of definitions of murder. Let's define murder. Here's how it's defined in the penal code of our land, chapter 84, section 290. Whoever intentionally causes the death of another person by any unlawful harm is guilty of murder. Unless his crime is reduced to manslaughter by reason of such extreme provocation or other matter of partial excuse as in this title hereafter mentioned. But it's only the top passage we're looking at now. Whoever intentionally causes the death of another person by any unlawful harm is guilty of murder. Note the emphasis here in this definition is death caused by unlawful harm. This definition of course allows for the lawful taking of life, not being regarded as murder. In other words, we can say murder is killing, but not all killing is murder, got it? Murder. Is killing, but not all killing, is murder. That unlawful is an important word and element to consider. Now, when I was discussing this, I got some information from Carmen, and Carmen put me on to one of the young ladies at the government office, and she emailed me this further information. She said, a person commits murder if he intentionally causes the death of another person by unlawful harm. And a person causes harm if he intentionally and unlawfully causes any bodily hurt to another person without legal justification. Bahamian law provides that intention can be established from the natural and probable consequences of a person's actions. So where it is reasonably foreseeable that an act would cause or contribute to cause an event, the person who commits the act is presumed to have intended to cause the event. Now those are legal words, terminology, but you get the idea. I want you to see the emphasis on intent. First you had unlawful. Now you have another element, and that is intention. And so murder then would be the intentional unlawing, unlawful killing of one human being by another Human being. Now you said, boy, you're getting kind of elementary. Right, I want you to understand what we're talking about. Because if you're going to discuss the issue, you must understand it. Sometimes we use terms, we use words, and so on, and we are talking about two different things. Yeah? All right. By the way, this is also in keeping with the biblical definition of murder. You know, the, the, the commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. That's how the King James renders it. But actually, the Hebrew word there is the word not for kill. It's the word for murder. So the commandment actually says, thou shalt not murder. So this is in keeping with the biblical commandment, commandment to be sure. Now these are general definitions from a social and legal perspective. To put it in our context though... And our focus from a biblical perspective, we have to look at the theological as well. And so I'm going to give you my theological definition of capital punishment. Capital punishment is a divinely stipulated penalty God empowers a state or government to exercise in order to take the life of a human being made in the image of God who unlawfully takes the life Of another human being because he or she is also made in the image of God. I call this a theological or a biblical definition of capital punishment. Now, look at the because in that definition. The because. This is a vital and significant part of the definition. Because he or she is also made in the image of God. This gives the basis and reason for the penalty. The basis and reason for the penalty. Without this, the penalty would have been different. This here determines the taking of a life. Facts as we shall see as we go on in in our time together, this reason also establishes the validity for the existence of the government or the state this is one point you don't hear anybody talk about from a biblical perspective it's amazing how it is missed so I want you to listen carefully it's very important for our discussion it's my purpose now to establish the validity of this definition from the Word of God to begin let's begin at the beginning that's where I always like to begin let's begin at the origin of the state and the origin of capital punishment from a biblical perspective. And you know something, amazingly? It all happened at the same time. This is the point that is missed. The origin of the state, the origin of government, and the origin of capital punishment. Turn with me to your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10. This is the crucial text on both the creation of the state and the institution of capital punishment in the Old Testament. It is known as the Noahic covenant because it was established by God with Noah as the head of the new race following the flood. So I want you to remember the context, it's important. God is speaking to Noah immediately following the flood that has left only he and his immediate family alive. In other words, they are the nucleus of the new race. And so God has given them some new instructions of how to live on this new world. We read the word. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. That's an interesting thing, by the way, but I won't focus on that today. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. That's a powerful statement that we overlook. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Verse 6 Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth. End of quote. That's the word of God. Let's consider some of the explicit as well as implicit facts derived from this passage. First of all, government did not have its origin in some evolutionary concept that was forced upon man because of his enra- environment or because of his intellectual ability. No. According to this passage, government has its origin in the sovereign decision and purpose of a triune God. That's important. Government has its origin in the sovereign decision and purpose of a triune God therefore it follows that a government is only successful and effective as it should be as it is faithful to achieving the purpose for which God created it are you following this passage gives us an essential aspect for the purpose of the establishment of government And you know what it is? To exercise capital punishment. To put it in other terms, to protect its citizens by punishing those who would go against the law of God. People don't even see that. They don't even deal with that. In one sense, as we're going to see, the state An exercising of capital punishment is almost like a sire. They they go together. We really can't have one without the other. For either to be valid. Now remember, we're looking at it from a theological perspective. But secondly, through the Noahic covenant, the government was divinely established for the protection and well-being of human life. To put it in social terms. The the assuring and preserving of the welfare of the citizens is at the core of the purpose for human government. At the very core. God set up the state to protect the citizens of the state. To show that this is not an outdated, defunct truth confined to the Old Testament. Listen to what Paul says When he alludes to the same concept in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what he says. Quote, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority. That we, notice now, why? Why pray for them? In order that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. You see the point God desire for his people is to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness and the text says it is responsibility of those in authority to bring it about by the way the believer has a tremendous responsibility here we are to pray for the government so they are able to do about it to bring it about that's why we have to be careful how we criticize the government because we might actually be criticizing ourselves if we don't pray for our government. Very important here. These things go together. But the third point here from this passage, and that is, government to be operated and administered properly must reflect the moral nature of its makeup. And that is that all human beings are responsible to the other for their safety. Listen to the word of God again. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow men. Do you see that? i want you to notice that there is both a negative and a positive aspect here negative in that it is forbidden for a human being to unlawfully take the life of another human being and positive in that it requires that every man have a special care for his fellow man that is the desire and purpose of god the state is to reflect that principle in the way it operates according to this passage now, does the New Testament endorse this concept? Well, listen to Paul in Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man, notice, has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule love your neighbor as yourself. You see the care and the concern for one another on a personal and individual level? That same care and protection is to be reflected by the government as well as it protects its citizens. Now this leads into a fourth fact from this passage. And that is that government must reflect the religious nature of its foundation As an institution or it cannot and will not uphold the true dignity of man. This is a vital one here. And it is this fact, in fact, that gives man his value. Now here's the point. We talk about the value and the worth of man today, but do you know something? The only way we can truly talk about the value and worth and especially the sanctity of human life Is if we believe the Bible. There's no other place, no other writing that talks about man being made in the image of God. None. The only revelation we have about the sanctity of life being based on the fact that man is made in the image of God is Holy Scripture. Now that means. And when we hear individuals talking about the value of life, value of human life, then they have to be willing also to accept what is said about how human life is to be valued by God and the state. But they seek to separate it. I'm trying to show you the importance of the theological understanding of the state and truth when, and capital punishment when we talk about this issue. It's impossible to talk about capital punishment without bringing theology into it. If it is going to be valid. Let's go on. A fifth fact is found here then. By the way, let me say something here about our institution then. I mean, not our institution, our constitution. You know, we have in the preamble about respecting the truths, the principles of Christianity, Christian principle, having respect for Christian principles. But if we really follow that, we will have to have respect for what the Bible says about capital punishment. We can't reject it. Why? Because Judeo-Christian principles include the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is the one that gives us the purpose for the creation of the state and the real purpose for capital punishment. That's why really a lot of people are talking either foolishness, ignorantly, or hypocritically when they leave out these rules. But let's look at the fifth fact brought out in this text. And it's this. The fact that God invests human government with the right responsibility and power to use force or coercion to to assure and maintain the safety of human beings, shows that there are evil tendencies within men that must be restrained. God knows the nature of man. And so when he created the state, he created the state in order to refrain, to restrain the evil nature of man, when it is not restrained inwardly by them submitting To the will of God individually and personally. Why? Because his concern is the protection of his people. And so if people do not care for one another willingly, but seek to harm them, God says, I'm going to provide protection. And that protection is the state. We're going to bring this out more clearly when we deal with Romans 13. Because that's where it comes in quite forcibly here. God has designed then that a duly established government or state be his divinely appointed agency in the world for taking care of the safety of his people on a social, physical, or civil level. The church, on the other hand, believers in Christ, plays a corresponding divine role on the spiritual level. The church seeks to convert man through love by by proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they would be peaceful, law-abiding citizens who do not harm other people. But if they refuse the gospel, reject the gospel, and then go about trying to harm people, God says, I have another servant, I have another minister, and that is the state. So God has provided protection. For his people, through his church, the gospel, and through the state and the powers that he has given to it. But a sixth fact is found in this passage, and that is that the right and responsibility to administer capital punishment is invested in established government, not the individual. It's very important. In other words, again, in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament, especially Romans thirteen. Capital punishment represents divine vengeance and retribution, not individual. It is retribution, it is vengeance, but it is not human. It is God's vengeance. It's God's retribution. And God says the individual cannot do that. The only agency who can do it is the state. And it is approved by God. It is endorsed by God. Government through its police and legal system is God's agency of wrath, Paul says in Romans 13, toward evildoers. This is therefore to assert that murder is first and foremost and essentially an act of rebellion and violence against God rather than the victim. Murder is first and foremost an act of violence against God rather than the victim. Why? Because the victim, the human being, is made in the image of God. And that's why we must begin with God. I believe it's because that this biblical fact is not recognized, that the state and many will well-meaning, but in my opinion, misguided human rights activists Activists can have such a humanistic attitude toward capital punishment. They make the mistake of thinking that murder is primarily against the individual or the state. Rather than against God. And therefore they believe that government can devise its own punishment or lack thereof for this crime. Without regard to the revealed mind, will and purpose of God. But that's impossible if you're going to be true to scripture. See that's the humanistic approach the natural approach in fact there's actually an attempt in our community today to make it appear as though it is wrong to punish criminals for their crimes and that punishment itself is a crime it's amazing according to some it is barbaric in fact it's a barbaric God and those whom he has ordained to uphold his moral laws that must be punished those are the bad guys as someone has said Quote, the sovereignty of God is being replaced with the sovereignty of the individual. Now, the concern is not the upholding of the dignity, honor, and sovereignty of God, but the man imposed dignity, honor, and sovereignty of man himself. And man is a standard, the only thing he's going to be concerned for is man and not God. In other words, the sacredness of human life is not seen to be based any longer on the fact that man is made in the image of God, as the Bible clearly teaches, but rather that life is valuable because man is man. Man in this context is seen as a commodity. As long as man is able to produce, to give something to the community, he is worthwhile. He has a quality of life that should be protected. But if he gets too old and he can't produce anymore, you can kill him anytime you want. In fact, even before he comes into the world, if he's only, you know, he isn't producing anything yet, he's still in his mother's world, you can still do everything. Why? He isn't contributing anything to the well-being of man. That's the kind of attitude that results from the thinking when God is left out of the picture, you see. That's why another thing, my people, you have to understand here. What is going on today is what has been going on for a long time, people like to call, is the battle of the mind or worldviews, if you want. That's what is at stake here, the way we look at life. When you leave God out of the picture, you look at life quite differently than when you put God into the picture. And what we have today is a conflict between leaving God out of the picture and putting God into the picture. That's what it is. That's why you better be sure you know what God says in his word so you will be able to be able to defend the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For instance, today, man's law says human life is too valuable to take. But God's law says that it is the taking of a life of one who unjustified takes a life of another that actually upholds the value of sacredness and dignity of human life made in the image of God it's just the opposite the taking of a human life who's taken the life of another human life unlawfully and intentionally so shows more the dignity of God when you take that life I say than when you let it pass by we'll deal with this more this evening but this leads into a seventh point And that is that Genesis chapter 9 gives us the basis for all punishment for all time. And that basis is the vindication of God as the creative ruler of the universe. Whenever justice is uphold, God is seen to be God. Because God is a just God and he has created his world on the basis of justice. That's what discipline of your child is all about, by the way, and punishment of your child. To let your child know, hey, God has designed an orderly universe creation. Certain things follow in a certain way. It's just right to do it. And when you disobey it. You not only disobey your parents, but you disobey the God who created you as well. Both the protection of citizens and the rehabilitation of the criminal comes here. Or is impacted here. In other words, the first and primary reason and objective for punishment is the vindication of God as the moral ruler of the universe. It is not the satisfaction of man's needs or lack thereof. It is the vindication of God. That's the bottom line purpose for justice and punishment or just punishment. Flowing out of that is an aid principle. It is this. The moral basis and justification for the institution of human government and capital punishment for murder is the sacredness of human life which is rooted in the fact that man is made in the image of God. This is vital. According to the word of God. I want you to understand what we're doing. We're giving a biblical perspective of capital punishment. Tonight we're going to deal with some of the reasons. Those who oppose capital punishment present. And we're going to look at it in a different fashion. But right now according to the word of God. Capital punishment is the divinely stipulated penalty. For one human being. Made in the image of God unjustifiably taking the life of another human being, who of course is also made in the image of God, without the approval of God himself, who created them both. Notice the phrase, without the approval of God. Because there are times when God approves for people to take the life of a human being. The state, especially. When that is done, it is not murder. Once God approves it. And so the value, the sacredness and dignity of human life is intricately and essentially tied into the fact that man is made in the image of God. Scriptures teach that only God can determine who, apart from himself, can justifiably take the life of those made in his image. He is the only one who has that right. And he has given that right and responsibility to government and the state when it comes to murder. That's why when people say that for the state to take the life of another is to commit murder themselves is erroneous because God gives them permission to do it. turns prevention and rehabilitation of the murderer take second place to the vindication of God's sovereignty and dignity. We could go so far as to say that the godness of God is established when capital punishment is justifiably administered. This is the essential but missing element, I believe, in much of the discussion on capital punishment today. And sadly, it is true with respect to discussion even originating from Christians who profess to believe and obey the Word of God, as well as by those who reject the Bible. It's amazing. And tonight we're going to be dealing with some of these excuses that individuals bring up, like the head of the Roman Catholic Church and the head of the Anglican Church and the head of the the New Covenant Baptist Church. All of these men of God, well-respected, and they oppose it, and they come up with these arguments. And tonight come out because we are going to dismantle them. I'm not saying that harshly or arrogantly, but I want you to be able to be able to respond in an intelligent and biblical way. Listen even if we're true that capital punishment does not deter others from committing murder. Government must still administer it upon the guilty if it is to be true to its mandate as a minister of God and an agency of God's wrath. Now, as we've said previously, government is responsible by direct, by direct command from God to protect its citizens through the proper administration of appropriate punishment to those who willfully and wrongfully and wantonly violate the laws of the land. This includes capital punishment. And in order to be able to validate his reasons for existence, punishment, justice must be administered against those who break the law. By the way, this is why I believe one of the reasons for the weakness of our government in this area. I believe that more funds and monies and time and everything has gone into social programs rather than protecting the citizens. And as a broad general statement, but I believe that can be demonstrated. The primary purpose... Is not to feed the poor for government. It's to protect its citizens and to punish those who commit crime. If done properly, such punishment would protect citizens by restraining the guilty from committing crime and deterring others from committing the same crime and uphold the dignity of both God and man made in His image. My friends, the Bible makes it clear that once a person has been found guilty of a crime and that beyond shadow of doubt, as we say, just punishment should be immediately administered. Hear the word of God. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. You see that? Notice carefully, it is not the penalty itself that deters. It is how quick the penalty is executed that it is. Do You see that? That's why really more of our focus should not be on talking about the nature of capital punishment, but rather what's going on with our judicial system. That's where the point, that's where the focus should be. Because that's where the problem lies. In other words, failure to speedily administer appropriate punishment to a guilty criminal actually encourages others to act accordingly. This means then that a government, through a failure to administer justice as ordained by God, actually becomes its own enemy. It actually encourages what it is meant and instituted to prevent thereby invalidating the primary purpose for its existence and exposing law abiding citizens to unchecked criminal behavior. In other words, because of a failure to execute the punishment in the way it should be done speedily, of course now we're saying that after the person is found to be guilty beyond shadow of doubt, that's essential as well. The government in a failure to do that actually becomes its own enemy, because it encourages what it is trying to prevent. Someone has said, and I quote, take a murderer promptly to court, convict him properly, and punish him promptly, and you treat him as a responsible man. By responsible man, the idea is one who makes a choice. You see, when we talk about rehabilitation and restitution, all these things, we're taking the choice out of many things. A purpose... A person is not held responsible for his choices anymore. You see. But we'll talk about that later on. Take a murderer promptly to court. Convict him properly. And punish him promptly. And you treat him as a responsible man. Treat him as a mere victim of his environment and history. Attempt merely to rehabilitate, rehabilitate him from his murdering tendencies. And you treat him as a thing or commodity to be manipulated. End of quote. And that is true. In other words, we use a person for our own benefit, the benefit of the community. Yeah, he failed. Okay, forgive him. Let's rehabilitate him. Let's rework him over and put him back into the community. Because what? He could become a producing citizen. See? The good of the state. Commodity using as a tool rather than a person who's responsible for his choices now put another way we could say this way imprisoning a properly convicted murderer for life is more inhumane and barbaric than is the speedy execution of capital punishment if you understand these principles Some people say, well, it's so inhumane and barbaric to put a person to death. Put him in the prison for life instead. It's it's a murder. You're committing murder when you kill a person. So put him in the prison for life. Now think about that. They don't call that Kidnapping. Taking a person against his will and locking him up. But I looked it up in the government legal code. That's exactly what kidnapping is. Taking somebody and locking them up so they can't get out. But these people who say it's murder to put a murderer to death says that putting a person in the prison is a humane thing to do it's not illegal although legally oh i I, not legally because the law allows it but it is kidnapping What I'm trying to say is, and I want you to come out this evening, we're going to see that almost every, if not every reason that people use to oppose capital punishment is either illogical, unfactual, or just purely hypocritical. Come out this evening and we'll take a look at that. But there's one more. By the way, let me say this too. God designates to the state the duty to impose the death penalty upon a properly convicted murderer without undue delay and without hesitation. This action both upholds the sacredness of human life made in the image of God and serves as a deterrence for other would-be murderers. And this is true regardless of what human studies might say to the contrary. And we're going to look at some of these studies tonight as well. And show you that these studies really are not those studies at all. At least support them in any way. But let me give you the ninth one. The Noah covenant is a covenant that transcends time and nationalities. In other words, it was given to all people of all times even for today. Listen to the word of God again, I say. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. Now, my friends, it's important that we remember the historical context of this passage. I say again, this isn't the beginning of a new world order or economy based upon human government. Thus, the fact that Cain murdered Abel and was not killed in return has no bearing upon this. Because this is a new order. This is a whole new world of affairs here. New principles are being instituted. Now, of course, in the case of Cain, God took it upon himself to protect him from being killed by eventual family members, friends, or other individuals. In the new order, though, of affairs following the flood, that responsibility is transferred to human government. The state, not the individual, is given the responsibility of upholding the dignity and sovereignty of God over man. And thus, the ultimate means of doing this is the newly invested authority to the state of being able to take the life of a murderer. This is why the right an authority to exercise capital punishment. Now listen carefully to this. The right and authority to exercise capital punishment is the highest symbol of the authority of an established government. The right to take the life of an individual. There's no higher sign or indication of the authority of the state than this. And so whenever and wherever this right is discarded, the state of government automatically and by the very nature of its divine constitution loses its power to adequately enforce all other laws. If it refuses to administer the law that shows its highest authority, certainly does not have any right. To enforce those of lower order. In other words. If it refuses. It removes the sting of the law. On the social level. This is an important issue. We're talking about. When it comes to the purpose and nature of God. Listen to this statement. Logically. And to be consistent if one were to reject capital punishment because it originated in the Old Testament as some claim to do then one also would have to reject established government why because as I said at the beginning they were established and instituted by God at one and the same time some who hold it as you also would have to abandon by the way much of their Church ritualism. Because much of it is based on the Old Testament. Let me summarize as I close. Theologically. Biblically. From a Christian perspective. Government upholds the dignity of man. And acknowledges the sovereignty of God over human affairs. When it takes the life of a properly convicted murderer. Conversely. When it fails to do so, it reduces man to mere animal status and rejects the rule of God in its affairs and the fact that it will eventually answer to him for that rejection and failure to fulfill its mandate as given by God. Now, in spite of, say, of all of what I have said, some Christians still protest. The administration of capital punishment on the basis that for the most part, I have relied only upon the Old Testament text of Genesis chapter 9. And they say that for our modern Christian society today, that's not sufficient. They say no such support can be found in the New Testament. Now, although I believe that I have said enough already for thinking people to consider that such a position is invalid... I will address this subject tonight, nonetheless, very directly. And so this evening, we're going to be talking about some of the reasons those supposed capital punishments give to support the position. For instance, it is inhumane or inhuman. It is cruel and unusual punishment. It does not deter other murderers. It is a continuation of the barbaric eye-for-an-eye eye punishment of the Old Testament. It is contrary to the nature of the loving God of the New Testament. These are some of the powerful canon reasons that the opposers use tonight. We're going to take them on. So I invite you to come out. We'll have a time for questions and answers. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Just for a moment of reflection, I want you to understand as a Christian, this is an important issue for us because it talks about upholding the dignity of not only of man but of God himself and establishes the godness of God in human affairs. It behooves as a believers to be sure that we understand what the word says. So I encourage you to study your Bible and to be like the Bereans to Test what we've said today against the Word of God. But I want you to understand, too, as salt of the earth and light of the world, you are responsible for being sure that the mind of God on this issue is made known to our community. Search your heart. Ask God to show you how you can do this as an individual. And not just stand by and complain and criticize. Or if you take a position that contrary to what we've said today. Is it in keeping with the word of God? Can you show from your understanding of the scripture. We are in error. Please let me know. Confront me. Because this is an important issue. For the church of Jesus Christ. Father thank you for your word. We pray that we might draw upon the indwelling Holy Spirit to illuminate us as we study, that we might understand. And then, Lord, give us the conviction to live out our beliefs. May your name and your dignity and your right to rule be upheld, because we, your people, are ready to stand for the defense of the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. And all of God's people said, Amen.